Well, you guys are in for a treat today uh, because I have a dear friend of mine here, actually two dear friends of mine, Steve and Cindy Nicholson. If you've been hanging around the vineyard for a while, you know that Steve and Cindy uh, Nicholson, they are like royalty in the vineyard. They pastor the Evanston Vineyard uh, Church up in Evanston, Illinois. And Steve, uh, when I first planted this church, was my church planting coach. So his job was to meet with me regularly, ask me some difficult questions, and basically tell me what I was doing wrong or right. And so he's been faithful to do that. But over the years, our, our relationship has evolved into more of a friendship. And I really value this man's uh, role in my life personally, but also his role in the vineyard. And so I've asked Steve to come today and share and conclude our Is This For Real series. So would you give Steve a warm vineyard welcome? Good morning. It's good to be with you all. Thank you for sharing Gina with us a few weeks back. Um, it was, he was a real blessing to us at our church. And so when he said, you know, we'll, it's your turn, <laughs> what can you say? You know, so here I am. And he asked me to talk about, you know, uh, how do we know the supernatural is real? Which is a really important question because, of course, our whole faith is based on a supernatural event, the resurrection. If you take that away, we don't have any faith. So it's a really important question. But before I answer the question, I need to, you need to understand some things about who I am. First of all, I've lived in Chicago for now over 40 years. So I've got a really big dose of Chicago skepticism about everything. <laughs> like, you know, I've been around the block more than once and seen all kinds of things. And, you know, like, like you, I'm sure if you've lived here anytime, you know, there's a huckster around every corner. And so you just kind of get a little suspicious of everything. So I'm not the person who, like, hears a story and thinks, oh, that's great. I hear a story and I think, like, how do I know that's real? <laughs> you know, that's my reaction. So the other, another thing you need to know is when I first came to Chicago, I worked for the IRS. Okay? I was with the tax people. I was auditing people's taxes. And we wanted proof. <laughs> You know, I, and I actually loved that job. It was a lot of fun on my side of the desk. <laughs> Another thing is, I really like science. I value science. I enjoy science. You know, some people, you know, they look at Facebook. They get hooked in by all the little cat and dog videos. Not me. It's the science stuff, you know, every once in a while, so they'll come up with something about something scientific, you know, a new look at a new galaxy or something, and it's sort of like, that hooks me every time. You know, I just, I love science. And even though I'm a pastor, I've never felt like there's a conflict with science. I always felt like, you know, God's, all truth is really God's truth, and if something's true, then it's true. And it doesn't, you know, God is for it. He's for truth. So... But that's kind of, and you know, the other thing is, I'm really not much of a showman. I'm kind of an introvert. I didn't want to be famous. I didn't want to do all this stuff that I've ended up doing. I, I, you know, I, I'm the kind of guy that just wants to, like, stay where, with my feet on the ground, you know, and have truth and authenticity. Like, what you see is what you get. 
you know, so, you know, what you got is you seen this frumpy old guy who has no idea who what cool is. Um, so that's actually who I am, and I think that makes me a good one to talk about how we knew the supernatural real. And the, the thing I got to say is over the last 30-some years of my life, I've seen a lot of supernatural things, and it's one of the biggest surprises of my life because I wasn't looking for it. I'm, I'm not the person who wants to go to every conference, and, you know, I, I'm not like that. I just, you know, but yet I've seen all kinds of supernatural things because I just can't help but get involved with people's lives, and I end up praying for them, and then things happen. And, you know, and it just, I, I couldn't help it. So, that's who I am. Now, before we get into the question, how do I know the supernatural is real? You have to understand that there's different kinds of evidence, and there's different kinds of knowing. So, getting back to science, all right, I love science, but for science to be a role, to have scientific evidence, scientific knowing, you have to do scientific experiments, and the whole premise of a scientific experiment is that you can control all the possible factors and that you can have a repeatable experiment that produces the same result over and over again. That's the fundamental nature of science. They're supposed to teach it in fifth or sixth grade. I don't know if they still do or not, but you know, that was the basic thing when I learned. You know, that's that's what science is. Now Obviously, with that criteria, that's not going to work with God or anything supernatural because you can't control all the factors. Guess what? God is God and you can't control him. And you also, you know, can't have a repeatable experience because even if something supernatural happens, you can't like set it up and guarantee that it's going to happen the next time. So it's outside the realm of science. You know, it's, there's a lot of things in life that are outside the realm of science. You know, knowing whether your wife really, truly loves you is outside the realm of science. Okay. It, science is just simply not designed to major things that aren't physical. Is fundamental. And we have a lot of things that are important in life that aren't physical. But science just doesn't apply to them. So it doesn't mean science is bad or science is wrong or that we need to be suspicious of. It just doesn't apply to the question, how do we know the supernatural is real? But there's other kinds of knowledge that we accept on a normal basis for how we do our life. So there's the knowledge that comes from experience. So you get a certain amount of knowledge because you do it this way enough times, you learn how it works. Um, there's a knowledge that comes from relationship. When you know somebody and you're in relationship with them, you get a knowledge of that person. That's how you know whether somebody loves you because you're in the relationship. It's a different kind of knowing. There's knowledge that comes from weighing the evidence. You know, which is maybe something if, you're get, if you get called the jury duty, that's what they're going to ask you to do. They're going to ask you to weigh the evidence. Most of the evidence isn't going to be scientific because you can't, like, do an experiment. It's going to be the evidence of, you know, physical signs and the evidence of uh, the witness of 
you know, the, the testimony of various witnesses. You know, it's, it's going to be that kind of evidence. And then we have the knowledge that we get from learning that certain things don't work and certain things do work. You know, like it really doesn't work to drive the wrong way in traffic. <laughs> you know, you're going to learn pretty quick with a hard experience like that's not the thing to do. There's a certain knowledge, like you drive on the right-hand side of the road or you're going to get clobbered. So there's different kinds of knowing, and some of those other kinds of knowing apply to the question, how do we know the supernatural is real? So with that in mind, why do I, this skeptical former IRS man, believe that the supernatural is real? And the first reason is just many credible witnesses. Um, Second Peter Chapter 1, Peter says, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. So, He's saying, we didn't make this up. This really happened. We touched it. We saw it. We heard the voice. We were there. And he's a credible witness because why? Because he said this thing over and over and over again for his whole life and died and refused to recant because of this witness. St. Paul mentions that over 500 people at one time saw the resurrected Jesus, none of whom ever recanted, not one. They all died violent deaths, except for the Apostle John. They all suffered, and yet nobody ever recanted. Out of all the people who saw the resurrection of Jesus, not one ever recanted. We can't go through a week without some kind of leak, recant (laughs) going on in our country and the government, okay? And these guys went a lifetime. And nobody ever deviated. Nobody ever recanted. They're credible witnesses. What's more, over history, there have been many witnesses to the supernatural. And some of the, you know, like stories, particularly from medieval times, are kind of obviously legendary in nature. But a lot of them are real stories of the supernatural that come from some of history's best thinkers and writers. Like people who really thought and who really considered about what is real, who saw things happen, they wrote it down, and we know. So, you know, there are actually, through the entire history of the church, many witnesses that the supernatural has been working in the church of Jesus the whole time. In fact, uh, there's one, one document that was written by one of the early church fathers, and this would be, like, in the first couple hundred years, and his whole argument, it was a, an argument he was having with a Jewish rabbi, and his argument is, you should know that what we're saying is true because when we get together and pray, supernatural things happen. And when you get together and pray, supernatural things aren't happening. <laughs> you know, and he could make that argument because that was, nobody could dispute that that was what was happening. You know, and in, in our own time, of course, there are many witnesses to the supernatural. And you can always tell that it's a true witness when it's not quite what you'd expect. 
when it, it doesn't go the way you thought. So when 30-some years ago, when we first got into this thing, we had just met the vineyard movement. We were just starting to discover some of these things. And one of our women from our church, we were a church about this size, about your size at the time, went out to this conference in California that I wasn't able to go. So when she came back, I said, like, well, what happened? You know, did you see anything? And she said, I saw a man in a wheelchair get up and walk. And I thought, wow, that's great. She's, and then she looked at me and she says, it's not what you think. I said, what do you mean? She says, you think they just like prayed a prayer and he jumped up and ran around. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought. She says, it wasn't like that at all. She said, this guy had been in a wheelchair for a long time. And I don't know if you know this, but if, if you're in a wheelchair a long time, your muscles go away. You don't have any leg muscles. She said, this guy had no muscles. And when the healing started, he started, his legs started shaking violently. Like they were going like that. And, uh, which he couldn't do on his own. And then she said, the skin started bubbling up on different parts of his legs as muscles were being formed underneath. And she said it took three hours, but they would like, they'd, you know, make some progress and they'd get him up and see where he's weak and then they'd pray on the part where he was weak and falling down. You know how many muscles are involved in walking? A lot. It's, it's from, you know, from your back all the way down to your feet. Like a lot of different muscles are involved and they had to pray for those one by one with that kind of power and finally at the end the guy actually walked on his own steam across the room but the way that she described because it wasn't the way I thought made me think like that was that's real you know I've seen other kinds of supernatural things besides healing that uh, I saw with my own eyes Uh, I was in Mexico City one time and we were simply praying for empowering for some students there. And one of the things at the time we had started doing is we, we tried to keep people from falling down when we prayed for them. A lot of times people fall down when you pray for them because their, their ankles get numb. You know, it's sort of like a side effect. If you stick your finger in the socket, you might fall down because your muscles don't work so well when they're in contact with that kind of power. And so sometimes people fall, but we, our experience was people would fall down and they think that's it, that they're all done, when actually nothing was all done. You know, they were just falling down. So we would hold people up. We didn't want to let them, we didn't want them falling down. We wanted to pray for them till their lives were really thoroughly changed. We didn't want them to just fall down and have a nice time with Jesus. We wanted to rip their guts out and rearrange it, you know. We wanted to really go for this thing. Let's make sure they get everything God's got for them. So we're like holding people up. So we start praying for this guy and there's like a lot of power coming on him, like a stiff wind in the middle of the room and his head goes back, his arms go back and we had three guys pushing on him, not not under his arms, but pushing on his back, 
as hard as they could to keep them from falling down. And all of a sudden, one of the women, Gas, says, look at his feet, look at his feet. And we looked at his feet, and his feet had also gone back. His knees had gone back. And that guy was being held in midair by the pressure between the guys pushing on his back and the power of God coming from the other side. I saw it happen. Another time, we had many witnesses to this one. This happened up in Mundelein, right here in the Chicago suburbs. So we, one of the first church plants that we started from our church was up in Mundelein. And the way we started, we were going up there on Sunday nights and doing a Sunday evening meeting. Kind of, you start when you can. Gino and I were laughing about this this morning. You started on Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, and that's what we were doing in Mundelein. And the funny thing was, I was going up there and to help and to preach. And every time my wife and I uh, drove past Lake Cook Road, I got a headache. And when we got up there, it was like slogging through mud. Like the worship was just kind of, and no prayers were being answered. You know, on Sunday morning, we'd be down in Evanston and be glory. And then we go north of Lake Cook Road, and it's like not. And this happened over and over again and so we finally figured out this must be like some kind of spiritual warfare so my wife like you know gets all the intercessors praying says you know we're having problems you need to pray for God to break through up in Mundelein so one night we're up there and all of a sudden and we're meeting in a a teacher's lounge in the center of Mundelein High School so we're in the middle of the building. We don't have an outside access. You have to walk down the hallway to get to this teacher's lounge. That's where we're meeting. And all of a sudden, in this teacher's lounge, there's this overpowering smell of perfume. And we thought, like, wow, somebody, one of the women spilled all the perfume in her purse. And, you know, it's kind of messing up the room. And we went kind of around sniffing all the women to see who it was. <laughs> And finally figured out that it wasn't any of the women, that the smell was coming from one corner of the room and there was nobody there. And it was a smell of roses, really powerful, in one corner of the room. And when, when we realized that, and you could literally step into it, you'd like be here and you wouldn't smell it, and you step in and you could smell it. I thought, this must be like some kind of sign of God's presence. Like, find some sick people, quick, you know, let's, let's, let's get some sick people over in that corner. God is there. <laughs> so we found some sick people and started putting them in the corner and started praying for them. And they started getting healed, which was like some of the first healings we ever saw up there. And so we're going at it. We're praying for the sick people. You know, anybody else got anything wrong? You know, you know, this is your moment. Like get over here in this corner while it lasts. And all of a sudden, one of the guys had gone out to his car to get something. He come back in and he said, what's all that smoke in the ceiling? And we said, what smoke? Because you couldn't smell smoke. We're just smelling this rose thing in the corner. And he says, well, look at the ceiling. And I'm telling you, there was like a foot and a half of cloud of smoke on the ceiling of that room that smelled like roses. And that was nowhere else in the building. 
didn't set off any smoke alarms, but it was there and we could all see it. And from that moment on, it was like free sliding in Mundelein. No more headaches, no more slugging through mud. It was off and running from that moment, that church plant. And of course, out of that church plant has now come at least a dozen churches. So like it was a, a very significant God thing and we all saw it. Um, just so you know, that's the only time in my life I've seen that. So it's not like, you know, when Steve shows up, the smoke comes. It's not like that. <laughs> it's not like that at all. All right, so second reason we know it's real are the changed lives of the witnesses. You know, when I think about the resurrection of Jesus, to me, one of the strongest evidences of it is the conversion of, of the man named Saul, who we now know as Paul. The man was a rabbi, a Pharisee, who hated everybody who followed Jesus and hated the message of Jesus and was doing everything he could, including murder, to stamp it out. And all of a sudden, he completely changes and becomes the chief proponent of that message. How do you explain that? Like, he would never, ever, ever in a million years have made that change, except if he'd actually met Jesus. You know, uh, when people's lives are changed in a really dramatic way like that, you have to think, like, what happened? You know, most people change, but slowly. You know, you change over time. People maybe change their opinions over a long period of time. But when somebody just suddenly is completely different, you got to ask yourself, what happened? Because it's just not the normal way that people changed. There was a French mathematician named Pascal. Um, if you've if you got any math folks here, you might know him. And he uh, was very well known, wrote a lot of things. And when he died, they found um, on the coat that he wore that he had sewn a piece of paper into the lining of his um, jacket. And it, it turned out that it was a paper describing an encounter he had with God that completely changed his life. And they call it the memorial. Um, and uh, it, was, it was something that, you know, from that moment on changed him completely and something that he wanted to hold on to. Um, it happened after he'd had months of depression and a near-death experience, changed the whole direction of his life. And here's the beginning of the memorial, what he actually wrote. It was in French, of course, not English. But I'll read you an English version. The year of grace, 1654, Monday, 23rd November, Feast of St. Clement, post Pope and Martyr, and others in the Martyrology, Vigil of St. Christ. Chrysogenus, martyr, and others. So he's kind of like saying, this is when it happened. From about half past ten at night until about half past midnight, fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and of the learned, certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, peace, God of Jesus Christ, my God and your God, your God will be my God. You know, so here you have a thinking, educated 
man who encounters in a particular night encounters God and he knows he knows that it's real you know Jesus said that the changed lives of the witnesses is our ultimate measure of what's true and what's not true Matthew 7 verse 15 he says watch out for false prophets okay there are there are fakes out there there are false prophets says they will come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ferocious wolves wolves by their fruit you will recognize them do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles likewise every good tree bears good fruit but a bad tree bears bad fruit a good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire thus by their fruit you will recognize them you'll know what's true by the effect in their lives I've got a, a video in my office of a man who was being trained to be a jihadist in a Middle Eastern country, and somebody gave him a Bible. And he hid the Bible, and then he began to read the Bible, and then he encountered Jesus, and his life was completely changed. And I've traveled a lot. Again, one of the other surprise, big surprises in my life, all over the Middle East, and I have met hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Muslim people who have come to Jesus and their lives have been changed because they got healed, they saw a vision of Jesus, they saw a dream, different things. We, our church has a, a group that, that um, helps Syrian refugees. And when one of the groups, when we met them at the, at, the, at the airport, took them to the place where they're staying and started talking, eventually the woman started talking and she says, when we were in the refugee camp, I had a dream. And in my dream, Jesus came to me and said, when you get where you're going, I'm going to send some people to you who will tell you about me. And they will help you. And she says, you're the people. It came true. Um, we told her about Jesus. We got a, one young man in our church. He's 17, I think. He's from a Muslim family. He walked in off the street, gave his life to Jesus, got filled with the Holy Spirit. Anyway, about a month ago, he was in a class at school where almost every day the teacher was making anti-Christian statements or, you know, you know, little asides or even showing some videos that were hostile to faith and making assignments for the kids that kind of would make them question whether they had faith. So one day he decides to go in and talk to her about this after school. So he goes in on his own and... Uh, He's, they're starting to talk about it, and the cleaning woman comes in to clean the room. And he turns to the cleaning woman and says, oh, you've got a problem with your back. And he started describing exactly where the pain was and where the problem with the back was. And the woman starts crying, and she says, yes, I can hardly work because I've got this pain and all this stuff. And he says, well, you need to get healed. And she, and she says, yes, pray for me. She says, no, I'm not going to do the teacher is. And he points to the teacher. <laughs> so she's going to... And 
he has the teacher put her hand on the cleaning woman's back and the cleaning woman gets filled with power and starts and gets healed and all her pain is gone. And all of the anti-Christian stuff has mysteriously disappeared from that class. (laughs) So, I don't know. It worked pretty well for him. (laughs) Much better than an argument with the teacher. Number three, we know it's real because of fulfilled prophecy. You know, Bible scholars tell us that there are nearly 300 references to 61 specific prophecies of the Messiah that were fulfilled by Jesus. Okay, so... For somebody to be the Messiah, they have to fulfill all the prophecies about the Messiah, all 61. And Jesus fulfills all of them. The odds against one person fulfilling that many prophecies is actually almost beyond all mathematical probability. I mean, they, they, they came up to, you know, what are the odds of somebody fulfilling eight of the 61? Some of them very specific, like how you die, which is hard to control various other things. And it came out to about one in several trillion. But that's only eight. You know, so it, it becomes um, really ridiculous, actually. It could never happen, no matter how much time is allotted. One, one mathematician put it this way. says, the odds are one chance in a trillion, 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 trillion. Well, it's more trillions. I'm not going to read them all. But it's about... <laughs> 10 or 15 trillions. It's just not likely to happen. You know, there have been the prophecies that were made about Jesus that were fulfilled. Couldn't happen. And some, most of those prophecies were made 500 to 1,000 years beforehand. So, what do you do with that? And then, number four, there are other kind of impossible things that have happened that you might see in front of you. Uh, you know, I, one time when I was in uh, Manchester, England, and with John Wimber, who was the founder of the Vineyard Movement, and he called out five women who had a particular problem with their ankles in a room of three or 4,000 people, and five women came down. Not six, not four, exactly five who had that thing. And he had them sit on the front row, and he said, nobody touched them. And then he just told the women to, like, hold your legs out towards the front. And I thought... This is, I knew right away, this is going to be a visible miracle right here. We're going to see it right in front. And a bunch of people run down, ran down to the front to watch, one of whom was an orthopedic surgeon from the vineyard in Columbus. And they got down there, and those women's legs started shaking, and they could hear the bones cracking and moving as their ankles were rearranged. And the orthopedic surgeon in, in, examined each of the women afterwards. And they were indeed, every last one of them healed um, on the spot. Um, Another interesting story is that uh, I had this young guy in my church who had a prophetic gifting. And so I was going to visit for the first time a church in England that I had never been to. He was coming with me. And we were on the plane and he pulled out a piece of paper and he says I had a dream about this conference we're going to and when we get to the building there's going to be the main auditorium and it's going to be shaped like this but we're not going to meet there we're going to meet in a room on the side 
that's shaped a different way, like this, and they're going to set up the chairs this way, and a, a man who looks like this is going to sit on the third chair in the second row, and this is what we're going to say to him. So I thought, oh, well, we'll be able to test this one out. <laughs> Pretty quick. When you get there, the church is arranged exactly the way he had said. There was the main auditorium, and then there was this multi-purpose room on the side, and they'd set up the chairs just the way he described. So then I was just waiting, like, okay, is the guy going to turn up and sit in the chair? And sure enough, the guy turned up, and he sat in the chair exactly the way it was in the dream. And uh, we were off and running. Um, that same guy, another time, what had happened, and this is just funny, but it's just one of those things that kind of illustrates the reality that these things are real. Cindy had gone to the grocery store, the kids were at school, and she came home with a box of bugles. You know those crackers that are shaped like bugles? And they taste really, really yummy, but they're like ridiculously expensive, and you, you, know, you don't get very many in a box, and... It's not the thing you buy. And it's sort of like, well, why'd you buy them? Well, they were like giving them away. You know, okay, fine. And then my thought was, I'm going to get mine now because when the kids get home, there will not be any bugles left. So I opened the box, reached in, grabbed a bunch of bugles, which we never had in our house, and I'm holding them. And I'd eaten one or two, and the phone rings. And it was this guy. And he said, first words out of his mouth were, how are those bugles you're eating? <laughs> and I said, like, how do you know I'm eating bugles? He says, I can smell them. And I was, I said, like, and what is the point of this? <laughs> I was a little bit ticked about it, like, all right, healing, I get that, but what is the point of knowing that I'm eating bugles? And it was, you know, just so you know that it's real and just so you know that God's watching everything. <laughs> Lastly, we know that it's real because Jesus said it would be so. John 14, 11 to 12, he says, Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, Whosoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Jesus said it would be so. You know, in, in the last 30, 35 years, I've probably prayed for 20,000 people myself. A lot of people didn't get healed. There's a lot of, you know, oh well, we'll try again next week's. There have been some really hard disappointments. People you prayed for who not only did not get well, but died. Yet, I've also seen all kinds of amazing things. I've seen blind people see and the lame walk and deaf hear and things I never thought, you know. And a few years back, somebody asked me, like, have you fulfilled your dreams for your life? And I just laughed and said, oh, we passed those up a long time ago. <laughs> We're so far beyond my dreams for your life, it's ridiculous. Like, I never wanted, I never wanted to see these things. I never thought I would see those, these kinds of things. I... I it's, we're way beyond. And how did it happen? It's not because I'm like 
so amazing. It's just because I just keep praying. And what I tell people in, in my church is like, if you swing at every pitch, you're bound to hit something sometime. So if you want to like see if it's real for you, just take some swings. Just try and keep trying. Don't even measure for until you've at least prayed for a hundred or two, you know. Just pray for a hundred or two people. And not everybody's going to get healed. But you know what? In baseball, if you fail 70% of the time, they will pay you millions of dollars. <laughs> so you can probably at least do that well. Just praying for people. Just try it and see. What does it all mean? Well, every time, every time that we see the supernatural happen and we know it's real, it's a down payment on our ultimate promise. The Bible says it's a down payment. You see, the healings, they're temporary, right? They're still going to have to die. Even if you get raised from the dead, it's not even such a good deal because now you have to die twice. <laughs> They're temporary. But every single healing points to something that isn't temporary because it's a down payment on the big promise, the promise that one day Jesus will come back and make right everything that's wrong in the world. One day he will come back and our bodies will be transformed into immortal bodies like he has that transcend the laws of physics, you know, and we will live with him forever. That's the promise. And every time we see something supernatural, it's saying to us, it's true. It's true. The promise is true. And if that's true then Jesus and the message of his kingdom coming is the most important thing ever. Ever. If that's true, then we should give it everything we've got. If that's true, then we have nothing to fear about anything, even death. If that's true, we do not need to be discouraged when it seems that the darkness is winning. Because if that's true, King Jesus is going to come one day. And when he comes, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's worship. Huh?